Please join me in the prayer uh, for illumination. Let us pray. Holy God, help us as we read these scriptures together. Bring your understanding and reveal that your truth. We long if you continue to challenge, transform, and renew. May we focus on you and holy word as we reach and draw close to you. Our scripture today comes from Mark chapter 10, verse 13 through 16. Hear these words. People were bringing children to Jesus so that he would bless them. But the disciples scolded them. Then Jesus saw them. He grew angry and said to them, Allow the children to come to me. Don't forbid them, because God's kingdom belongs to people like these children. I assure you that whoever doesn't welcome God's kingdom like a child will never enter it. Then he hugged the children and blessed them. The word of God for the people of the God. Thanks be to God. Would you join me in appreciating, please? I think that uh, video we heard from uh, the words from Wesley are very interesting. The early Methodists were um, deeply, deeply involved in sort of the industrial revolution of uh, England at the time. They had uh, food pantries before they were sort of widespread. They had uh, used clothes stores before they were widespread. They were doing literacy training before that was a thing that like, the government offered. Is amazing. Uh, Wesley would not distinguish between personal holiness and what he called social holiness. He believed that sort of your walk with Jesus, your walk with the Lord should reflect sort of in your actions in the community. It's fascinating. <clears throat> should have some slides here, I think. I'm just making sure. Okay, I'll take a moment of personal privilege. The guys who work the tech booth are amazing. Y'all, we have so many... Uh, we have so many different systems back there. Uh, I have a, a couple of graduate degrees and I can't even work like half of them. These guys are incredible at what they do. And they're volunteers for the most part. So thank you so much for y'all's work uh, and uh, being able to roll the punches with technical difficulties. Can we get one more? Cool, thanks. So flying into Port-au-Prince, Haiti is a very weird experience. They only have two or three gates. Uh, sometimes only one, depending on kind of what technology and hardware is working at the time. And you fly in on the bumpy tarmac and you land and then you're in this um, very different place. So I've been, to, I've been to Haiti three times. My grandfather in the 60s helped build uh, a hospital on the island of Laganav, north of the mainland, there in uh, Port-au-Prince Harbor. And I uh, first went after the earthquake, I think that was in 2010, if memory serves me correctly. Went a couple years later, took some youth, and then uh, recently went back, I think about a year and a half ago or so. And it's always a different experience. When you get in, you kind of uh, meet your driver, right, depending on where you're going, and you get in the van, and then you, you take this very strange journey from the airport, which is rather kind of built up and kind of commercial and industrial, considering the rest of the country. And you uh, begin to see infrastructure and uh, lack thereof. I remember being in a van with students and um, I would do something that I, I got from uh, Tracy Kidder's book, Mountain Beyond Mountains. Uh, Dr. Paul Farmer, uh, National Institute of Health, big, big guy, big name. He always talks about how you sort of narrate 
Haiti. How you have to narrate Haiti, you have to give it context. And so we're driving along and then my students would say, why is there a giant pile of garbage on the side of the road? And are those goats eating the garbage? I said, those are goats. Yes, goats exist and yes, they do eat garbage. Uh, and the giant pile of garbage, that's a great question. Why do you think that is? And they said, well, why don't the dump trucks just come and pick up the garbage? I said, well, they don't really have dump trucks. And they said, well, that's strange. I said, it is a little different, right? It's uh, hard to think about it kind of in our context. And then you'd be driving a little bit farther along and you would see children uh, bathing in a river. Uh, it's not exactly the cleanest water you've seen and you'll see trash sort of littered along the banks. And then some of my youth said, what, what are those kids doing? I said, well, some of them are bathing, some of them are gathering water to cook with. Um, what else do you see? And they said, well, I see trash everywhere. There's pigs. Yes, pigs exist. They're in the water. That's fine. But you have to narrate the circumstance because it's just otherworldly. We, we were there to do sort of spiritual work, right? We were there to talk to people about Jesus. We were there to work with the church. And then we went to this village. Uh, I don't even remember sort of where this was outside of Port-au-Prince, if it was north, south, east, or west, I couldn't tell you. And we went uh, kind of down, walked into a dirt path, and came around some corners. Uh, lighting was pretty, uh, you know, terrible. And then it opened up into a field, and there were these homes, uh, really. And there's really cardboard and metal and corrugated steel and tarps. These were the walls of people's homes. And then all of a sudden, mothers started bringing their children out of these um, homes and we were vaccinating kids and uh, it was interesting you did come out and you'd, you'd give them food but in exchange for the food we were like we need to vaccinate your child and it was uh, uh, this amazing moment for me where I realized that nobody really cares about like do you read the Bible every day do you have quiet time with the Lord if you're struggling with tuberculosis in a third world country. It was this aha moment for me where I realized, what's the old adage, right? That they don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. And it was a powerful moment for me where I realized that the practical needs of people need to be met before you can journey with people spiritually. This isn't in my notes, but you see it in Jesus' life, right? The people come and they gather at the, at the, the foot of the, the, the mount, the, the hilly area, depending on kind of which gospel you're reading. And then the people, what do the disciples say? Are hungry. Jesus, they can't listen to you talk anymore because their stomach is distracting them. And what does Jesus do? He tends to their physical needs. He calls forth the bread and the fish, and you all know the story. They bless it and they hand it out, and people have leftovers for the journey home. It's only after people's practical, physical needs are met that then they can tune in and say, Now, what did you have to say about that Jesus person? I imagine you found yourself in situations where you were in desperate places too, and you wanted to, to help, you wanted to be a good witness to the gospel. You wanted to be a faithful follower of Jesus, but you didn't quite know how to move forward with that person. How many of us after Hurricane Harvey felt that way? We were like, I want to help, but I don't know how. I have a friend, uh, I won't mention his name, and he uh, is an atheist, and I'm gonna comfortably say this, I think he hates God. I think he hates most Christians. 
Uh, I'm still his, uh, his friend, we, we talk a lot. Uh, and then on Facebook, he posted something that some Christians might find offensive. But he posted this, uh, this little meme, this came up. Breaking news, the first truckload of thoughts and prayers just arrived in Texas, <laughs> all right? And we hear this all the time, my thoughts and prayers are with you. My thoughts and prayers are with you. Imagine standing on a dock in Galveston Bay and someone is drowning in the Gulf. And you say, my thoughts and prayers are with you. My thoughts and prayers are with you. It's for those who aren't in the church world, right? For those outside of the church walls, this is how it often seems. Say, my thoughts and prayers are with you. But you need drywall for your home? That's too much. My thoughts and prayers are with you, but you need new carpet? You need new tile? I don't know if I can go there with you. Practical needs. How to care for people practically. This congregation responded beautifully after Hurricane Harvey. Some of you took vacation off work. Some of you showed up at folks' homes you didn't even know and said, I am here to help practically. I'm here to show the love of Jesus practically to this family. Give me a shovel and I will muck out this house. And many of you did, day after day after day, and none of you got paid for it. That is a beautiful, beautiful example of how we care for people practically in God's world. The issue I have with this, right, the, the truckload of thoughts and prayers just arrived in Texas, is this is often how it seems to folks who are outside the church. And let me just say that this is how it is if our thoughts and prayers end with just thoughts and prayers. Our thoughts and prayers must drive us to action or we are praying for the wrong thing. We have to seek God's will in that and God is calling us to enter into people's lives in a messy way. A way that causes you to take vacation. A way that causes you to show up in, in boots and dust masks and gloves and say, I'm here to sweat and work my hiney off, but I don't really know what I'm doing. I'm just gonna help you out. Be present with folks the practical way that we live in people's lives and care for them. Our scripture today comes from the Gospel of Mark. We heard it earlier, and we're sort of familiar with the story. And if you're like me, when you maybe grew up in Sunday school, you saw like the, I don't know, the white Jesus, right? With like the blue beauty pageant sash. And he's sitting there inviting all of the white children around him, right? And he's like, bless you, bless you, bless you. Uh, that's probably not what happened here, right? Jesus and his disciples were on the move. They were always sort of gathering. He says, uh, the Son of God has, the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. They're always walking around. And then they come into town and it's a big, uh, you know, hootspa. They're like, Jesus is here. And the disciples are like, oh, everyone stay away. Let Jesus do his thing, right? He's an important person. And then the children, the children of all people, unbelievable, try and come in and get close to Jesus. And the disciples, let me just tell you now, if you look at the kind of cultural context, the historical context, are in the right here. They are correct. Because children in that time, age, day, and place were not really people, right? They definitely were not citizens. They were not taxpayers. They didn't run businesses. They had no sort of honor or prestige in the home. Right? They were um, necessary, but primarily liabilities, right? They are little people. They are literally overlooked in a crowd. 
right? Everyone gathers around Jesus, and then all the adults gather because those are the important folks. And then everyone's looking around and saying, where are all the important folks? And all the little ones are right here, right? They're literally overlooked in the throng around Jesus. They're non-contributors. They are a bunch of freeloaders. They need watched, protected, guided, mentored. Stanley Hauerwas commented on it this way. Interestingly, Jesus put a child in the center of his disciples, in the midst of them, in order to help them pay attention. The child was a last-ditch effort by God to help the disciples pay attention to the odd nature of God's kingdom. Few acts of Jesus are more radical, countercultural than his blessing of all things, children. God's kingdom is this weird place. The power structures are upside down. The first shall be last and the last first. People on the margins are given a seat at the table of power. The undocumented worker doesn't need to worry about deportation in God's kingdom. The thirsty drink from the well and never thirst again. The blind see, the lame, they don't just walk, they dance. The children are given full citizen status. The turn here, of course, is that we are all God's children. You're all brother and sister to me. It is in baptism that our kind of our family definition is widened. At the 11 o'clock service, we're gonna be baptizing uh, a baby. And she's not just going to be the Kaufman's girl. She's going to be our girl. She becomes our daughter, our sister. The family is much, much, much bigger in God's definition, in God's world. So when you see a child, be reminded of the odd nature of God's kingdom. It's very difficult for me to, to talk about, uh, I'll start crying, uh, sort of what happened here in this chancel area last week. How children gathered around the altar and, and talked about communion and talked about what it means that everyone can come to this table. And then they, if you recall, and were here last week, they, they came down here with the bread and the cup. And then, folks, right, you all have t-shirts older than these kids. <laughs> And they sat here and they served you communion. And it was a profound moment where we allowed sort of the children to take lead in the service and to take us to the throne room of God. What a powerful moment to experience with you all. I promise we're going to get to this gentleman in a minute. One of, my, one of my heroes, one of my favorite guys. Children are to be cared for at a great expense. I used to work at Thriving Financial for Lutherans. Uh, I know, I, maybe I do look like a Wall Street guy, I don't know. But I was studying for the Series 66, Life, Health, Annuities. I was studying the Series 7, that's what you use to kind of trade uh, stocks and bonds kind of on uh, Wall Street. It's the, it's the real, it's the, it's the show, right? It's what you do. Commissions are great, and you kind of get fantastically wealthy. It's very good. I used to work for Thriving Financial, and it was interesting to see what people saved up for, kind of why they wanted to invest, how they were sort of involved with their money, and what they were kind of aiming towards, right? A hefty IRA, that fancy boat, RV, 
a second vacation home, a collectible firearm, a watch like a Jaeger liqueur maybe? But what if we began investing differently? What if we invested in young people's lives at the most practical level? What if our legacy, what we leave behind as an inheritance, isn't a huge bank account? It's not the boat. It's not that heritage watch or timepiece. It's not that collectible, you name it. What if our heritage as a faith family, what if our investment was changed lives? So I want you to meet Jeffrey Liu. First, let me say that this guy is my hero. And second, you can't really see it, but that is a pineapple print pinstripe shirt. So if you can pull off pineapple print on pinstripe, you're the man. That's all I gotta say. <laughs> and I ran across his story. It started getting some national attention in uh, kind of the start of the school year in August. And I just want to do an old fashioned, I'm gonna, I'm gonna read it to you because it's profound. One Seattle dad is determined to make sure no school child in the state of Washington has to face the humiliation of carrying a lunch debt. Jeffrey Liu, who was born and raised in Seattle and works in a local government agency there, works for the government, first learned about the issue with children across the country who can't pay for their school lunches when he read an article about it online. He discovered that when children don't have cash or funds to pay for their school lunches, schools begin to track their debt, and invoices are sent to their families. But many schools will also take lunches away from children who can't pay, or they trade out the hot lunch for an alternative cold lunch for these children. Lou, who has two sons, age nine and four, and a two-year-old daughter, was deeply affected by the article. He says, it's devastating. It boggles my mind that a child can accrue a debt at school. I was determined to do something about it. Lou started by finding out the lunch debt at his own son's school. 97 bucks and 10 cents. He paid that off. But then he decided that wasn't enough. I thought, why not help out the whole Seattle Public Schools District? And it took off from there, said Lou. In May, Lou created a GoFundMe campaign to attempt to pay off all the lunch debt in Seattle Public Schools, which was no small feat. The lunch debt in Seattle Public Schools at the time was $20,531.79. But Lou met his fundraising goal of $50,000 and then some, so then he decided to do the same for the surrounding school districts in Tacoma, Spokane, Renton, and Clover Park. He has now paid off over $100,000 worth of debt in the five school districts. This issue is important to me because I really feel passionate about helping students just do their best in school and not have to worry about having food to eat, said Lou. I believe we should have universal lunches. He said, we give prison inmates three meals a day and they've been convicted of crimes against our community. We force our students to stay in school, yet lunches are not automatically provided for them. These are innocent little children that should only worry about studying and doing their best, not worrying if they will go hungry the rest of their school day because they don't have the funds to pay for a decent <coughs> lunch. Lou continued to research and contact more school districts to find out what their lunch debts totaled. He and a friend, Stephen Medawar, created the website lunchdebt.org, you can write it down, to support larger lunch debt resolution campaigns across the country. 
Last week, the two launched a new campaign with the goal of eliminating student lunch debt for the entire state of Washington. Though he's not sure erasing student lunch debt for an entire state has ever been done before, Lou said he is confident they will accomplish this as well. The dad said he hopes his children will be proud of him when they are old enough to fully understand the impact he has made on the lives of other children in their hometown and now their home state. I want them to know that I did this for them, he said, so they will be encouraged to always do good for their community whenever and wherever they see fit and to always be kind. Because being kind is something you will never regret. It's powerful stuff. Let me tell you that Dave Ramsey in financial peace says giving away your money is the best thing you can do with it. It gives you the most joy. I know that and hope that when I uh, kind of get out of debt, the one thing I can do with the money that I have kind of freed up is give it away. Because we know that God is the giver of all things and trusts us with all things. Jesus gives it all away. He lays down his life for his brothers and his sisters. Gives it all away. It's one powerful way you can care for people practically. So may the Spirit of God move within us and spur us to such charity as this. Can you imagine what Lake Jackson would look like if all of the children who attend school didn't have to worry about where their meals came from? What a, what a change and profound new way of living, of caring for children practically. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, Amen.